Good evening, everyone. Welcome, ladies. So, we continue our discussion tonight briefly from Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita. Sri Krishna Skaviraj Goswami Mahasaya Ki Jai. We are reading from the 13th chapter of the Adi Lila. This is where the narrative of the Lila actually begins. There's quite a build-up to this uh, point, quite a philosophical and theological uh, build-up, uh, largely through the medium of the Mangala Charn of Krishnadas Kaviraj, which is a peculiar uh, invocation in that typically he describes this himself, a Mangala Charn consists of three elements, a Namaskar verse, a verse where the deities of the book are venerated and uh, respected, the deities presiding over the text, a verse that, uh, a Vastanadesh verse, a verse that describes the tattva, the, the, uh, the underlying philosophy of the book in, in essence, in a, in a kind of a condensed cryptic um, form, and an Ashirvad verse, a verse that uh, offers benediction to the readers. So the Mongol Charn is complete, as he describes it, in these three verses. But he only he employs two verses for his Namaskar verse, and one for the Ashirvad verse, and one for the Vastanadesh verse. But his entire Mongol Charn consists of fourteen verses. So it's rather peculiar, and rather extended, if you will. And he has his own auto commentary on it that is um, also uh, significant. So, at the onset, the point is, of the book, in the context of the auspicious invocation, the preface, if you will, the sacred preface of the book, he um, uh, brings out the essence of the philosophy and the theology that underlies the, the narrative of the life of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, an extraordinary person, historical person, of course, and an ahistorical person as well, from a theological and philosophical point of view, and from the spiritual, experiential point of view of the many, many people, uh, devotees, educated people, artisans, they were poets, writers for the most part, um, literary uh, men and women, um, who uh, witnessed the person uh, and history of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and described it as they have in books like this, Chaitanya Charitamrita, which is kind of the last of a series of narratives describing his uh, life and and teachings. This is the most complete of all of those texts, the Chaitanya Charitamrita. It comes at the end after a number of other hagiographical or biographical works and so he had the wealth of those to draw upon, and um, and he also had the coming like a, a generation after the the uh, the presence of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, 
he had the wealth of the Goswamis, the founding acharyas of the Sampradaya, who formed the Sampradaya. They're the founders in their texts, their books, um, are the, uh, the scriptural um, kind of, uh, well, books for the next 10,000 years or something like that. That's what they were. Are. And so he had the wealth of those, the writings of Rupa Sanatana, Rabindranath Jiva Goswami, and so forth, to draw upon. And so while he describes the narrative and defers to others, such as particularly Vrindavan Dastakul Chaitanya Bhagavat, as someone who was, had, who, who, whose work was being relished at the time of the Goswamis, they were reading about the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu through the book of Vrindavan Das, Chaitanya Bhagavat, but as he explains earlier here in the text in chapter 8, that he was requested to speak, write something about the later leelas of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in particular. Um, the leelas after he took sannyas and Jagannath Puri. And um, so he did so, deferring to Vrindabandas and his Chaitanya Bhagavat and drawing upon the works of Murari Gupta, the notes of Das and Sarubhamadar, and as they, as they, all of the theological and philosophical writings of the Goswamis that are the literary foundation of the whole lineage, and they are considerable, and they are very, very concisely and accurately, faithfully represented in the text, in the philosophical sections, and within the Leela narrative sections as well. I mean, this book, I was a fortunate uh, person uh, to uh, be one of the first people in the Western world to ever read the Chaitanya Charitamrita. It, it came out in the early, uh, mid-70s, I guess, early 70s. And um, you know, there's a story behind that. It's, it's, it it's a, uh, brings to... Uh, comes to mind worth worth uh, relating. Many of you have heard it, of course, but I was on a walk with Prabhupada one of the one morning, and it was it happened to be in Los Angeles and uh, along the beach, Venice Beach, where he liked to walk. And he had uh, mentioned that that in his writing, which he saw himself principally as an author, and then he had a mission that he an organization that was formed to, uh, to distribute and assimilate and, and practice that which was written in, in the texts. So um, kind of the, the organization, if you will, was supposed to flow out of, out, of, out of the teachings of the book. It was supposed to correspond with the book. The example of the devotees was supposed to correspond with the texts and so forth. So at any rate, he was... Uh, really showering his disciples with knowledge, which is the, really the business of the guru. In this case, the knowledge of bhakti. And the example is that, that, that at one point, we were receiving like a three, four hundred page book every month. Hmm? That's, a, that's a big book. And it had all kinds of wild, uh, you know, things in it from, in comparison to our experience, people with four heads and six arms and... <laughs> Whole the uh, Bhagavatam, you know, narrative that he was he was bringing out, uh, so it was quite was quite occupying for us. We were just being, we were we were ready to turn left, right, sit up, stand up, stand on our heads. We, you know, we were like, 
just uh, he had us in a in a very flexible, if you will, uh, space. Here we were getting these insights, like like I say, a four hundred page book a month to keep up with that um, was considerable. In light of the fact, of course, it was an ancient text and it was philosophical and it wasn't like a novel, um, and uh, and so many philosophical insights and stories within stories. The way the Bhagavatam works as a question. And then the answer answers by telling a story, and in the context of that story, there's another story, another story, and finally you find the answer, and you're back to the beginning, and the question and answers continue, and so forth. So it's a complex book, an interesting and consuming book, the Bhagavatam. The Bhagavatam is the very heart of the tradition of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's thought to be the hub around which all of the sacred texts of the Hindus orbit. In other words, they will all be understood in context with reference to the Bhagavad, which is thought to be like the, the cream, if you will, of the milk of the Veda hmm? and the Upanishads. Shuti Sarum may come. It describes itself. Shuti means the, the Veda. Hmm? And Shuti Sarum may come. Sar means, it means cream. And it means the essence. It's the, the cream, the essence of the Shuti. A very extraordinary work. Um, besides our theological and philosophical perspective on it in terms of its place in the uh, in, within the body of the sacred texts just from a practical point of view its language hmm? the theological complexity of the text and so forth um, separates it uh, entirely it's like a man amongst boys or something like that um, uh, uh, in relation to the other Puranas it's one of the pranas. It's in a pranic setting. It has the various ingredients of a purana, with the uh, description of the vamsas and the character, the vamsa, the avatars. There's certain five, six elements that make a purana. So it has these things in place to make it pranic in its genre, but its message transcends anything that you can find in the other Puranas and so on and so forth. So it's um, amongst the Puranas, you, you'll, find, you'll find over 80 Sanskrit commentaries on the Bhagavatam. That means Sanskrit is a learned language of the Hindu scholars and so forth uh, uh, of times gone by for the most part, although there are some today as well. That They took the time to write a commentary on that in Sanskrit. It means that it was really a book of the intelligentsia of the time. And this over, you know, over over centuries, and um, the the literary sophistication of the book, the, the the nature of the Sanskrit and so forth, is separates it. As I say, the fact that it attracted attention of of scholars and of the ruling class as well. If you if you look in India, you see this uh, uh, many uh, miniature the miniature. Art it was a um, um, something that's still preserved today. In fact, the cover of my book, Aesthetic Vedanta, and the Bhagavad Gita were drawn by a person, Mahavira Swami, who I found in Rajasthan, who's preserving this art of miniature miniature art. I mean, they, they, they he draws with a m- microscope, microscope, magnifying. magnifying glass, a magnifying glass. And a, and a hair from the tail of the squirrel, and all of the paints are made from natural ingredients, like like the yellow 
comes from cow urine and dried in the sun and so forth. And says, so, um, at any rate, this was a, a, an art, uh, you know, a few hundred years ago, 500 years ago, that was a very form of art that was prominent. And you find many, many depictions of the leelas, the play, the divine play of Krishna in the Bhagavatam in this form of miniature art. And many of them are signed, as sometimes painters do sign their painting, in Arabic. It means the Muslims were drawing pictures of Krishna Leela. That the charm, in other words, of the Bhagavatam, the charm of the person of Krishna, despite the religious divide between Hinduism and, 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 and the Islamic faith, it couldn't be avoided. Krishna is, this is a beautiful thing, uh, about the 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 Krishna notion of the Godhead, because in the person of Krishna, in the narratives, you find a a description of the Godhead that human beings can connect with emotionally in terms of the whole entire range of human emotions. I'll give you an example of what I mean. If you take Christianity, you find the the Christ, and he's God, thought to be in human form, the Son of God, hmm? miraculous uh, person, uh, divine, uh, uh, human, divine and human. You know, this is this is the whole. This is what life's about, really. In one sense, are we divine or are we human? Are we animal or are we, you know, human? Or if we're human, we're one of the animals. This is, human life is like the most complex form of life where abstract thought becomes prominent and the question why surfaces, not how, how to eat, how to sleep, how to mate, how to defend, but the very troubling question, why? Why am I? What is meaningful? How can I have purpose? You know, these things have nothing to do with matter. Purpose, meaning, value has nothing to do with inert matter. It has everything to do with the subjective realm, with consciousness proper. Hmm? So the idea is that consciousness in human life is coming to the fore and it's asking about itself. It's asking questions that material nature, that matter, can't answer. Hmm? It's asking about why am I? What is the meaning? Not how to do this or that, but what is the purpose? Hmm? in an overarching sense of life. So matter can answer that question. It can answer the how questions that animals have. But in animal life, the less complex forms of life, the particular vehicle of that form of life doesn't facilitate the consciousness, the atma, coming as much to the fore, if you will, to the front, as the human life does. And in human life, where it does that, again, this is the, this is the example of it. Why? Why am I? Hmm? These questions can't be answered by, by matter. Matter, nature, points us in the direction of her source. Hmm? And a prominent manifestation of that answer that human life constitutes, we are a question, in a sense, the answer, a prominent manifestation that is the sacred texts, of the Hindus. Hmm? The answer, Om, 
It's an affirmation. It begins with this, yes, you have meaning. And then many verses describe how, what is the meaning, what is the purpose, and, and so forth, how to, how to realize it, and, 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 and so on. Um, so, anyway, many thoughts, but... So... Yeah, yeah, we'll get into that, right. So, the Bhagavatam, one of those sacred texts, and the center, from our perspective, and for good reason, for, for Yuva Goswami gives a very good argument for that, but besides his argument, as I'm saying, from a literary point of view, from an artistic point of view, from a poetic point of view, the Krishna conception of God, it, it touches all of our humanness. Hmm? We are rational beings, but we are also emotional beings. Hmm? The question is whether our emotional reality is overrides our rational sensibilities, and whether that's good or bad. Uh, so we say that that humans are different from animals because they have reason, something like that. It's not entirely true, but. Um, but to make sense out of our emotional life um, is the idea, to reason about it. Um, the emotional life is what, again, is the meaning. And of course, our, our emotions are material emotions because our mental um, side is focused on matter, so we have relation emotions in relation to matter. The problem with that is that matter is always coming and going, coming and going. So... Our emotional life makes us go up and down like this and, un- and, be un- and, and remain unfulfilled. We need an object to repose our emotional life in, if you will, that's not going to disappear at some point. Hmm? Not going to transform. You met a Prince Charming and he turned into, you know, a couch potato or something. Yeah. And there was a problem. <laughs> so, uh, that's the... No, the, the waking life is not much different than the, than the dream life where those kind of things happen. It just takes a little longer for that transformation to come about. And so, at any rate, the beauty, in one sense, of the Bhagavatam and the Krishna conception of Godhead is that, that it enables us to, con- to, to touch, to bond with the Godhead with all the whole range of human emotions. I give an example of Christianity. Jesus is there, and he dies on the cross. And so it touches certain human emotions, like, oh my God, like guilt. He did that for us. Mel Gibson, who has a place nearby here, did a movie about Jesus some years back. Uh, It was famous, I didn't go to see it, but, you know, it was like real, like, in 3D or something, you know, 4D or whatever it is that uh, taking the cross up and the blood and so on and so with making it as graphically and as real as bringing it to life if you will the story and so it's it it it, it this as it's thought of sacrifice of the son of God for the mankind kind of embarrasses you into like being a good person and being a moral person and you feel guilty he did that for us and so it touches a human emotion. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it doesn't touch every human, human emotion. Emotions we have towards friends, towards children, towards 
our, our uh, significant other, and so forth. The Krishna Leela touches all of these emotions. When you hear the narrative of Krishna Leela, you're hearing about God, but he's acting like us. This is the whole idea of Prem. Prem is defined marginally by the characteristic of, of what we call minus. Not minus like in math, but my. He's minus. A sense of he's mine, he's ours, he belongs to us. This is the feeling in Braj, in Golok. He's one of us. Oh, they say he's God in, the, in this book and that book and the sages think like that, but we just think he's one of us. He's ours. He's the Brajbasi. He needs our help hmm? to lift Govardhan Hill, hmm? for example. Hmm? The others are there. <laughs> His friends are holding it. This is what the Bhagavatam is about. And so when we see this, we hear these narratives, we laugh. We find it charming. Hmm? Because we can relate to it. Because they're, they're, yeah, it's human like. It's like us. And he has feelings like we have. Hmm? Is the idea. So with all of the human emotions, and we are we're kind of like more emotional beings than we are rational beings. That's why we say, Yes, I know, but <laughs> I know Swami, but I've got to go. <laughs> and so okay. So so but but still still we go, but still Krishna can capture us. Hmm? We can find the Leela's charming because they they so much we can we can bond, we can relate, we can connect with him. Hmm? So the Bhagavatam depicts these leelas most beautifully and showcases the possibility of, of relationship with Krishna. There are three basic rasic centers to the Bhagavatam. We have a Vatsalya center consisting of the Dhamadar Leela chapters. You have a Sakirasa center consisting of the Brahmavimohan Leela. There's three, four chapters there and the Dhenakasura Leela. And then you have, of course, the Rasa Leela, the five chapters showcase the Madhurya Rasa. Bhagavatam is showcasing these possibilities. And of course, underlying all this is Dasya. Hmm? These are all forms of service. So, the Bhagavatam, like none of the other texts, even the, the Vishnu Purana, for example, or Padma Purana, where Leelas of Krishna are described, they're not described in a Rasic sense that they are in the Bhagavatam. Therefore, Nigumakovaturo Galitam Palam Sukumukadam Drabasambitam Pivata Bhagavatam it's a very special book. I get said it was different in language. The Puranas are said, for example, to speak like a friend. The Vedas are said to speak like a king. A king says, do this, do that, om, do. The commands are given in the Veda. Hmm? So it said the languages are like a king, giving orders. The Puranas which reiterate through narratives and stories what the mandates of, and commands, if you will, of the Vedas are, has the language of like a friend. Like, I want to tell you, let's take a walk, tell you a story. You tell the story, and in the context of the story, you make a point, something like that. Hmm? So there's the, 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 the scriptures speak like a king, like a friend, and in some, in the kavya, like a lover. Hmm? And all three of these languages are found in the Bhagavatam. So again, it's speciality. And particularly, of course, the, the, the Parokshavad, the indirect language of, of love that Krishna says he likes so much. 
And so, this is the heart, this book of, um, of, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And we were getting a volume of this, 300, 400 pages every month. Of course, there's a build-up to the 10th canto. The 10th canto is larger, really, if you examine it with the relevant commentaries than all of the other cantos of the Bhagavatam put together. So that's what the Bhagavatam is really about. The 10th canto is the 10th of 12 books, and it's all about the leelas of Krishna, the whole narrative of Krishna, birth of Krishna to his disappearance and so forth. The rest of the texts are all talking about it in different ways and giving of including Puranic elements to give it the Puranic setting, the book, and so on and so forth, and some philosophy and, and whatnot, that those leelas might be properly understood. But anyway, we were getting, as I say, a volume every month, so it was like, wow, this is a lot to think about here. Hmm? This is a lot to take in. And this is the business of the of the guru, the teachers, is really supposed to flood us with with knowledge so that we you know we don't have time to think about something else. Our head is spinning with these extraordinary ideas, all of which are addressing the the question that we are as humans, why, purpose, meaning, and feeding it and nourishing it in, in such a profound sense. Hmm? Here, I mean, we're at the end of this chapter. Hmm? We, uh, I haven't started it <laughs> but, uh, tonight, but we're at the end of this chapter here. Chapter 13, we heard Sita Thakurani's uh, about her coming and giving. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has been born. Sita has come and brought golden ornaments and silks and spices and so many things. Uh, several verses about her um, uh, tending to the child and celebrating his birth. The idea behind all the wealth that she gave is that is that she represents Lakshmi and Yoga Maya. So Lakshmi is wealthy. Advaita, her husband, is Mahavishnu. Typically, Brahmins were poor. Typically, Vaishnavas were poor. In the Bhagavatam, the question is asked by Yudhisthira that Narayan is very opulent and wealthy, and Shiva is very poor, dressing in ashes, and doesn't even have a house. But the devotees of Narayan are typically poor, and the devotees of Shiva are typically opulent, wealthy, like the tre- treasurer, Kuvair, the gods, who's a devotee of Shiva, well, he's got the bank account, he's got the checkbook. Hmm? So please resolve this contradiction, was the question of Yudhisthira to Narada. Hmm? And Narada explained it's true, actually. Shiva's Ashutosh, he's very easily pleased. So people ask him for things, he gives them. Hmm? He has the power to give them. Why does he have the power to give them? He has nothing. He dresses in ashes. Hmm? He, he, he lives in, on a rock. <laughs> how, wh- how, where does he have the power to give things to people? The idea is that knowledge exceeds things. The best things in life are not things. We are not a thing. Matter is things. We are what makes matter matter. Matter matters to us, to consciousness. Hmm? So Shiva represents consciousness, knowledge, knowledge of the self. Hmm? If you have knowledge of the self, 
which is Satchidananda. You don't need things. You don't need to be pleasured and acquire things for that. You don't need to be secure and acquire things for that, like a fence or a bank account or... Hmm? Um, you don't need to be to pursue virtue. You are a unit of virtue. You are a unit of bliss. You are a unit of knowledge. Satchit Ananda. You are secure. You are. Hmm. So, when you have knowledge, then everything that you could have in relation to things is yours and more. Therefore, Coming to knowledge, one transcends the Varnashram and becomes a yati, a renunciate, a sannyasi, not obliged by the laws of behavior and so forth. Hmm? Now he's a contemplative, he's living within. Hmm? So, in, because Shiva has transcended things, it means he owns the things. And that means, unless you've transcended things, you are owned by the things. That is the problem of material life. We are owned by our attachments. Hmm? So to overcome that, to come out from underneath that, hmm, is to own the things, hmm, in a sense. So the idea is that one who has transcended that attach, the 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 the, uh, the bondage hmm, of attachment, can bestow things easily and more. So people approach Shiva often for things, apparently. So he, he can give them. Though he doesn't appear to, appear to have anything. <laughs> he does, as I'm explaining philosophically. So he gives things. He's Ashutosh. Now, Narayan, that's different. Hmm? Because Narayan is obviously transcendental to things, but he also transcends the knowledge that, that Shiva represents. Because as I've explained the other night, in karma, there's action. In knowledge, there's inaction. So if you transcend the karmic realm and become a sannyasi, you become a contemplative. Right? So you don't do anything. Hmm? You sit. You meditate. Hmm? You've walked enough, talked enough. Now it's time to sit. Don't just do something. Sit there. Easier said than done. Hmm? Right? When we were kids, they used to say, don't just sit there, do something. Mm-hmm. So, that's changing. <laughs> so, so from with, with knowledge, action ceases. Action is the absence of knowledge because we're moving in relation to things in pursuit of enduring happiness, but in relation to things that don't endure. That's not knowledge. You understand? That's that's the ignorance of attachment. We we think the things will bring us pleasure. We don't realize that we are a unit of pleasure, of happiness. Hmm? So, karma means action. The implication in which is knowledge is absent. Hmm? Knowledge means absence of action in relation to things of the world, which is what all the actions for. So, but while these two cancel one another out, love contains both of them in a happy and harmonious way. Love is a movement. Love is not still. That's for sure. Hmm? 
In one sense, we move in the world only in pursuit of love. And when we find it, you know, it has a movement of its own, an orbit of its own. <laughs> it's up and down too, but you don't want to get off. Hmm? I'm just giving a material example. So, but the idea is that, that, that love includes movement, and it also includes knowledge. A kind of love is pregnant with a kind of essential knowing. I know. I don't need anything extra. I know. I know all that I need to know. I know I have a significant other, and and my feelings can be shared. Hmm? Something like this. So, in love, there's knowledge and there's movement. So, in Narayan, of course, we have love. It's it is as God, hmm? above the knowledge that Shiva represents. Hmm? And so, he has things, <laughs> and he has knowledge. <laughs> um, so, Narayan is described, he appears to have things, but he has them in the context of love. So, they're not ordinary material things. And he, unlike Shiva, doesn't respond in the same way to his devotees. Devotees of Shiva ask for things, he gives them. Narayan's devotees may ask for things and he, he may not give them because he knows things may be troublesome. In fact, Narada answered the question to Yudhisthira and said, more characteristically, Narayan, rather than giving things to his devotee, takes things away from them. That's why he's called Hari. Hari means who takes away. He's a thief. In the night he comes and takes everything from you. Hmm? Because why? Then you have to depend only on him. You have nothing. Hmm? And you have to become Sharanagata. <laughs> Prabhupada really liked this. Harishetad Dhanam Janai. Shanai. Janai. This verse from of Narada. That, uh, Prabhupada used to cite it about himself. Krishna took everything away from me. Hmm? I had a family, sons, so forth. Uh, and 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 all. I don't think he had any daughters. Do he have any daughters? Yeah, he had a daughter. Okay. Anyway, sons and daughters, family. But Krishna took it all away from him. He had nothing. Hmm? And of course, then he began his mission, and he ended up being facilitated in terms of the mission. Obviously, quite considerably. But he said. Krishna's taken everything away. I had to completely depend upon him. We find that in his prayer, coming across the ocean in the boat, Jaladuta, how he's so much a Sharanagata, so emptied out of any aspiration other than do the bidding of his guru. Hmm? So, um, so, typically, devotees are poor. That's why... And Dwight is exceptional. Hmm? He's a devotee, but he was wealthy. Hmm? He was the leader in Nadi at the time of all the devotees. His house was a preaching center. They would read the Bhagavatam, discuss it from a devotional perspective, and the Gita, and chant, and, and so on. He had no sorrows, except the sorrow he felt for others who didn't take the bhakti. Hmm? His wife, he is Mahavishnu. Mahavishnu is the compassion of Narayan. Narayan wants to bestow mukti. But he, who can he bestow mukti on in Vaikuntha? 
Everybody's already got it. So there needs to be another world. Hmm? So this world is manifest for the purpose of Narayan experiencing compassion. And he does so in the form of Mahavishnu, hmm? who becomes many, the one becomes many. Hmm? And although the intention is good, material nature is powerful and they're small. So in, in relation to the power of material energy, the small jivas, the sparks of the fire of Mahavishnu, are tend to be fall into the clouds of smoke and the fact that their spark is obscured. So he avatars, he descends into the world, manifests the Veda and so on and so forth. To, this is all the compassion of Narayan. So Advaita is thought in Gaurlila to be an incarnation of Mahavishnu. So Lakshmi is there with him as Sita Devi. So she's depicted as coming to the child. And unlike others who have come, she's giving gold and valuable things and so forth, saying that she's very um, wealthy. She's the goddess of fortune. I started, the, I ended my talk last, last night about her by way of speaking about the internal energy of Krishna that, that um, Lakshmi, Radha, and so forth represent. Um, they represent really the wealth of Goloka because the wealth of Vaikuntha and Goloka is what? What is the wealth? It is its variety. Hmm? Brahman has no variety, no movement. Hmm? It's stillness. It's loving to be instead of being to love. The difference between bhakti and jnana. Some may love to exist, others may exist to love. We are of the pursuit of the latter. Hmm? So, the internal energy that Radha personifies, Lakshmi personifies hmm, in their corresponding uh, respective realms, creates the variety. Hmm? Radha is what makes Krishna dance. He is Ameshisha Murunata, he says. Radhikar Premera Murunata. The Prem of Radha, the dancing of Radha, is my guru. Hmm? I'm moving according to her movements. So, this is the real wealth. Her wealth is represented here in a particular way. She's giving to Narayan in the form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu wealthy things, but she represents the wealth of, of Vaikuntha, which is its variety, which, again, is, is, the, is what makes the spiritual world go round. Hmm? 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 We want that, that, that wealth in our lives. Hmm. So he has, um, Krishnadas talked about her in this way, and we ended our talk discussing something about this. Now the text goes just a couple more verses and describes how she named him Nimai. She named him Nimai because he was born near the Neem tree. Hmm. And she thought, oh, in the life of Sachi there's been such um, misfortune. Seven of her daughters died at birth. Hmm? This son was born underneath the neem tree. The neem tree is antiseptic. Hmm? has antiseptic qualities. That's a physical. Hmm? It was also thought in relation to psychic matter, not just physical matter, it had certain properties. Hmm? So, from the subtle world, the, the para, paranormal world, it has an influence, is a thought. So, spirits and ghosts and evil 
which is thought to be suspicious today, but or superstitious, but we, we do acknowledge that there is a psychic dimension of matter as well as a physical dimension of matter. So, so she thought the neem tree's influence extends into the subtle matter and has a protective influence. So I should name, nickname the child Nimai, hmm? after the neem tree. With, this is full of Vatsalya. Hmm? This is full of Vatsalya Bhav. There's no Aishwarya in the name Nimai. Hmm? It's coming from the heart of Sita. Hmm? Then the, the next verse describes what? That Nilambar Chakravarti came, he did the astrological chart of the child. He looked at his chart, astrology, and his physiognomy, hmm? and he determined that this child is very extraordinary. He should be named Vishwambar. This is the name of Tattva. Hmm? Nimai is a name full of bhava. Vishwambar is the name of Tattva. He's, Vishwambar means who sustains the, the uni- everything, sustainer of everything. It means Nilambar Chakrabarti, the maternal grandfather of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the father of Sachi, said, yes, your son is, this boy is God. Hmm? This is extraordinary. Hmm? Then we hear the other ladies called him Gauri, Gorchandra, and so forth. And, and they would, he would cry, they would, they would clap and chant, and he would stop. And because they were chanting the names of Hri, they would call him Gorhri because he was golden. So all these beautiful, charming names, they come from the elderly ladies in Gorlila. They're full of um, sweetness, hmm? not names of, 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 of tattva, describing him as God. Hmm? And then Krishna Das will say, this is so nice, the birth of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and the Leela now that will be continue to be narrated, the story the philosophy, the dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was so extraordinary that if people had a chance to take advantage of this and drink this nectar of bhakti rasa and they didn't take advantage of it, he says, better they hadn't lived at all. This is his genuine feeling. Hmm? Once I was sitting with uh, Puja Patridhar Marsh and um, one of my godbrothers, Achyutananda Swami, in the early, early days of ISKCON, was in India, and Prabhupada was in America, and he was feeling a little spiritually weak and needing of association, so he wrote to Prabhupada, is there any Siksha guru, instructing guru, that I could take shelter of here in India? So Prabhupada wrote to him, it's a famous letter, and said, my grandfather, B.R. Sridhar Marshav Navadweep, you can see him, what to speak of how you'll benefit from him, I consider him my Siksha guru myself, so what to speak of the benefit that you will have. So he went there and spent... Several months with Sridhar Marsh. Hmm? So Sridhar Marsh knew him, and so then, decades, a decade or so later, more than a decade, uh, almost two perhaps, um, after Prabhupada had left the world, and some of us had the fortune of coming under the shelter of Sridhar Marsh, uh, Shrutananda was a little distanced um, from active service. But he had written a book about his life called Autobiography of a Jewish Yogi. <laughs> Picking up on the title of Paramahansa Yogananda, you know, who wrote a book, Autobiography of a Yogi. And so, um, I guess he figured at least the Jewish people would buy it. So, <laughs> if not more, you know, so. So anyway, 
uh, when Sri Ramarsh heard that, that through some of us that uh, that Chutanana has written a book called Autobiography of a Jewish Yogi, he said, he said, Chutanana has become a Jewish Yogi. <laughs> How is it possible? He was here with me and, and Prabhupada Swami Maharaj, and he tasted the nectar of Gaudiya. Siddhanta and Vaishnavism and what it is how did he become a Yush Yogi after that he, goes, he said no no that's not what he meant <laughs> but he was expressing the mood that this chapter ends with that Krishnadas Goswami Kapiyosha Goswami voices with such uh, feeling for the Leela hmm? for the contribution the dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu hmm? it's so extraordinary hmm? I've given the example of the Bhagavad its extraordinariness, uh, uh, and, and so on. Um, again, we were getting a volume every month. It was very ex- extraordinary for us, and we were so like flexible hmm? because of what's going to come next, what's in the next chapter, what are we going to do, how else are we supposed to think about God, and all these insights into the Paraviyom and so forth, the nature of of consciousness in transcendence, not just the difference between consciousness and matter, which is a bore, which is an exciting subject scientifically, philosophically, today, but it's a boring subject really for Krishna consciousness. It's his, we know that. What is the nature of consciousness in transcendence? What is its possibilities there? Rasa, Rasananda, and so forth. This is what Gaudiya Vaishnavism is really ultimately about. If Arupa Goswami says, a little knowledge, uh, you're not the body, it's good. But the power of, the emotional power of of Krishna, the descriptions about him, and of bhakti, and these uh, bhakti, angas of bhakti, engaging in them and so forth, that exceeds the power of philosophical discrimination, vivek, hmm? that jnanis are absorbed in to, to come to the to the tiny realization that I'm not the body. It's an important thing, obviously, but but it's small in comparison to where we can go, if you will, with that. And um, and that's what Chaitanya Charita Amrita means. It means, Chaitanya means consciousness, Charit means character, Amrita means immortal nectar, the immortal nectarine character of consciousness in transcendence. Not just the difference between matter and consciousness, but what are the prospects of consciousness? What is the consciousness of consciousness? That is what Krishna consciousness is about. Hmm? After all, Radha is Krishna conscious. So, Sri Krishna Chaitanya. It means the Prabhupada named his mission Krishna consciousness. Hmm? So, Krishna consciousness means. Radha's consciousness of Krishna, so the consciousness of consciousness, deep subject. Right? So we were getting, anyway, book every month, book every month. Hmm? And um, I was walking, as I said, was saying on the on the Venice speech with the prop, and he said, you know, I'm, it's a famous story, that I, I'm ahead of you because the disciples were publishing the books, some of them, and some of them were distributing the books, of course. Um, and he said, in my writing... I have completed the Chaitanya Charitamrita commentary, hmm? and it it fits into you know a number of volumes, 
and so I'm way ahead of you because you're publishing. So one of the my Godbrothers Ramasrasa said, Well, you know, we're publishing, you know, one Bhagavatam every month and we have a plan to increase that, you know, and then include the Chaitanya Charitamrita so that in 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 what did he say in in seventeen months we, we could do two volumes a month or something like that. And there'll be seventeen volumes, so in eight, nine months we'll finish. And then Prabhupada said Two volumes a month. I want all volumes in two months. <laughs> so he was pretty, pretty. Uh, <laughs> he had a he had a mission. As <laughs> I remember, I was there in Ramaswar. He just like he was, he was already kind of a pale guy, and he, <laughs> I mean he turned you know a whiter shade of pale, if you will, <laughs> and fainted on the beach, you know, on the white sands of Venice Beach. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> But they did it. They did it in two months. And I was a friend of Ramaswar, and I was, you know, had some some small part in the distribution of Prophet's books. And so he would send me a volume of Chaitanya Charitamrita as it came off the press, because they they printed like before the main printing came off, they print like a dozen copies of each volume, and they had they were gold-embossed, so around the edge they had gold, and these would be given to Prabhupada, and to GBC, and the sannyasis, and I was just a brahmachari, but, but Ramaswar, he liked me, and he was in the printing part, so he sent me a, one of the volumes. Hmm? And then I would read it every night with the devotees. We were in Chicago at the time. Hmm? Some Canadian devotees there, Kashiram, and uh, Ganapati Swami, and um, um, what is his name? Also, oh, I don't remember. But anyway, they were on my my party We're from Canada, right? You girls from Canada, ladies from Canada too. Beautiful place. That devotee that's in the that's going to come on Saturday. She she remembers you from yesterday. Okay, that's great. Yeah, I look forward to seeing her. So anyway, I was fortunate that I. To be one of the first person in the Western world to read the, the Chaitanya Charitamrita. And the point I was making is that when I was reading the Chaitanya Charitamrita, I was feeling like all the books are here. The Gita is being quoted in a central way. The Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu is being The Bhagavatam is being quoted. So as I said, Krishna's Kambaras who wrote the Chaitanya Charitamrita, Chaitanya Charitamrita, he had the wealth of, the, of his predecessors and their narratives of the Leela to draw upon, and all the books of the Goswamis. And they're all, in an essential sense, there in Chaitanya Charitamrita, which is the distilled essence of the Bhagavatam. So here we are now, we've concluded <laughs> the 13th chapter, where the narrative of the Leela begins. So 12 chapters building up to that. Seven chapters describing, explaining the Mongol Charn and all the philosophy and theology and so forth that's packed into there. The Mayavad philosophy is is um, uh, I must say discussed in the seventh chapter, and then the story of how he wrote the book in the eighth chapter, and then in the ninth chapter he gives a figurative tree of love of God, and all the branches are the devotees and. Then chapters 10, 11, and 12, he describes all the principal players in the Leela. The group of Nityananda, the group of Gadadhar, the group of Dvaita, hundreds of them, well, at least 64 of them, uh, listed. Hmm? 
And then they'll come up in the narrative now as the story goes. They already have. The elders have come. Sita, Advaita, Jagannath Mishra, Sachi, uh, Acharya Ratna, or Chandrasekhar, as, uh, as, as he's known. Haridas Thakur has been mentioned in this chapter, and so forth. And now we'll enter into the 14th chapter in the next uh, session, which constitutes the childhood, beginning of the narrative of the childhood. Leaders of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So a very important book, Chaitanya Charitamrita. We're very fortunate to be able to discuss it in an assembly of other uh, devotees. Any questions? What's the time? Do you know anything of how Advaita Acharya's lineage follows follows through and is that strictly seminal between family members? The lineage of Advaita, Nityananda, Srivas, and so forth, uh, well, they, these were all householders. Hmm? Gadadhar was a, was a celibate brahmachari. The Goswamis, of course, were renunciates. Hmm. So <clears throat> these are some of the principal followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You have uh, some of the Dwarasagopals, followers of Nityananda, some of them were householders. Hmm. Some of them were not, hmm. and so forth. So these lineages are coming from them, the householder devotees, are of two types. So you have the vamsa. The vamsa means actually in the family lineage. So Advaita has wife and son and and um, Nityananda's son, Virabhadra, and, and goes on down and so forth. So this is called the vamsa. So you have Nityananda vamsa, Advaita vamsa. And then you have the paribar, so that uh, this, because if I, well, if someone is married and has a son, and the son becomes a guru, and then his son becomes a guru, well, each of these gurus are going to initiate people that aren't their sons, right? And they're going to initiate people that aren't their sons, and some of them will become prominent devotees and have lineages. So, for example, the lineage of Advaita has a vamsa, where it's the, the family members, but it also extends out and has lines that aren't spiritual as well as seminal. You follow? Mm-hmm. You find that in the case of, you know, you, so they've several, you said, at Nityananda Paribar, Advaita Paribar, that's one thing. Advaita Bamsa, Nityananda Bamsa is another. Bamsa means the, the, the seminal lineage, which could be spiritual or could be not. It's not because you're the son of somebody that necessarily you're. You're somebody. <laughs> Other than you're not spiritual necessarily. Mm. So, I'll give an example. Raghunathas Goswami is in the lineage of Advaita. I think, Advaita Vamsa. From Dhananjaya Pandit, 
Advaita Paribar, Advamsa. Many lineages coming from associates of Mahaprabhu. We are in the lineage of Bhaktivinoda, as a, a Prabhupada taught us, a prominent person, not present with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but making a significant uh, contribution. Okay, so we'll stop there. Shri Chaitanya Charitamrita Ki Jai, Sisadavji Gopal Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Premanandi. Oh. Thank you.